All right, you guys, podcast time. We got the equipment and the perfect business plan. Give our show away for free and tell no one how to find it. Ready? Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian! I think he broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. been the biggest thing this week outside of professional wrestling because wrestling hasn't really but yes ben simmons is back folks my favorite basketball player is back with his home home team and boom right there usually i don't let dan ever turn his back to me but in this case it is warranted uh the biggest the longest summer in in six-year history uh has come and gone, and uh, Ben Simmons, my again, my favorite player, looked like he wasn't ever. And from all intents and purposes, and from what was reported and said allegedly, he was never going to play for the Sixers again. Couldn't wait to get out of here. Then the problem was Embiid, then the problem was the fans, and then there was something else. And well, I'm watching the Sixers exhibition game their home exhibition opener right here in uh, beautiful wells fargo and i'm watching youth being served the great isaiah joe making a case to be a significant bench score someone something we could have used last year and i'm more excited than ever for the start of the season to see these guys go and george nyang makes me say mike scott who but all that paled in comparison to the big story because while I'm watching the Sixers, the new look Sixers inside the Wells Fargo Center, someone trying to get in from the outside had to text someone and say, hey, it's Ben, I'm here. Can someone let me in? Ben Simmons, unbeknownst to everyone, even the representative of Clutch Sports, his agent had no idea he was in Philly. But there he was at the Wells Fargo Center, wanted to be let in so he could take a COVID test to rejoin the team that drafted him, your Philadelphia 76ers. Dan, please tell me what you think of all this, what's transpired in this past four days. I don't care um, what happened this summer. Mm-hmm. I don't really even care at this point in October what happened in the playoffs. That is that is gone. That time has gone and passed. As mad as I was, I wasn't that mad at the guy. Like, I was mad, but I wasn't like, you know, I hope it gets hit by a truck. <laughs> it's still Ben Simmons. Yeah. So, I... Again, ignoring what happened and all the things that were said by other teams... I'm the guy that sits on the fence on this, right? Right. Yeah. And it's and people hate that, but oh well. Um <laughs> it's like I kind of I don't resent. I don't and again, I don't hate anybody in this situation. After the game when Joe Joe and and the and Doc were saying, "Ben, Ben, you got to step I would have kept that quiet, but mm-hmm. at the same time, there's no time like the present to let out your frustration after a fucking performance like that. Yes, heartbreaking loss. On the other hand, mm-hmm. and again, this is I I don't even care. All these people on Twitter that are like he owes an apology to me. He owes an apology to his players. To his yeah. playmates. Is it playmates? To, to his teammates. His playmates. Yes. Playmates. His playmates. <laughs> to his playmates. He owes an apology to his teammates. Yeah. Um now as a fan, you don't have to accept that apology. You can boom all you want. Yes. But if he comes back, mm-hmm. and, and and even if it's to trade him, if he comes back and plays to his, it plays up to the ability that you and I know. Pass all the yeah. trash talking on Twitter. People saying it wasn't even that good. Stop talking. If he plays up to the ability that you and I know that he has. Yes. 
I don't really care about what just happened. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care either, Dan. I Brian Westbrook of the Philadelphia Eagles had the best tweet uh, yesterday. He said Ben Simmons is only two triple doubles away from a standing ovation. And shut up, Jay. Ben- Jay's just so late <laughs> show. Shut up, Jay. <laughs> yeah, please shut up, Jay. He's, he's from California. It's a, it's his home team. Uh, uh, okay, but but shut up. Uh, still, you did, but still, shut up. Yes, yeah, so you have a, you, you you. I'm not saying you're a front writer, but yeah, still shut up. Shut um, up. Ben Simmons. No, no. Go ahead. Finish what you're saying. Finish, finish I was ben, ben Simmons for all his balls and everything. He's not that good. It wasn't that good. Uh, ben Simmons is still the best perimeter defensive player in the league. Period. Um, he makes love us. You too, Jay. I love you too, Jay. But Ben Simmons is still the best perimeter defender in the league. That's why I'm asking people on Twitter. Everybody's like, trade him. I'm like, okay. So who are you putting in that place defense wise? Who? Yeah. Exactly. He makes us a better team. If he wants to go, yeah. Like, that's a whole other, that's a different conversation. If he wants to go, yeah. they got to work but, that out. Yeah. But and you if know, he's going to be he, here and he's going to play, I don't really give a shit what happened the last yeah. couple. I don't care. I don't either. And if Ben is coming back, if Ben, his whole intention of this whole thing is to go. The best way to get something for Ben is for him to play. So then 31 other teams can say, okay, well, the guy's committed. He still has it, and he can still rebound and pass the ball. His court vision is better than anyone. So even if this whole thing is for Ben Simmons to get traded to somewhere else, he's got to come back and play, and he's got to chill. So uh, Danny Green had it. If he apologizes, he apologizes. If he doesn't, he doesn't. And we're here to play. And, yeah, I do believe he owes an apology to his teammates more than anything else. We don't know if he – if it was true that he went out to fly out to say and he wouldn't see them or he That's didn't the want to play All with them. All these things that have been said have not been substantiated by anybody on the team yet that I know of. Yeah. Yeah. And, again, for, for Ben to come all the way to Philadelphia without his – without Rich Paul, his agent, knowing – that tells that's me kinda, a lot. That, that's kind of telling. So I don't know how much of what it's coming from them was actually true. Um, the, 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 uh, the, I was going to say, the other thing I was going to add was is all uh, just did all these people that were up his ass on the social media accounts mm-hmm. uh, when he was at a pool or chilling out. It yeah. was the off season. Exactly. That dude could have shown a video of him surrounded by six donkeys, three naked women. <laughs> Eight lines of coke. You could have been in a club with Urban Meyer. Yeah, and, and my answer would have been the same. Tis the off season. Exactly. He's not practicing every single day. Yeah, and you know what, Dan? It, it, because it's Ben Simmons. Even if he was practicing every single day Still and showing videos, enough. it wouldn't be enough because it's like, oh yeah, we've seen this video before him making three pointers in a pickup game in the gym somewhere. Okay, I'm the other guy. That's the first guy. That's Craig Leon's over there. I'm Dan Conchico. Welcome, everyone. Um, we don't have a busy week this week, and I'm okay with that because uh, we can talk a little bit about wrestling in Philadelphia because we touched upon it last week. There was wrestling in Philadelphia last week, all elite wrestling. And I heard from a friend, they did three and a half, four tapings. Yeah. It was Rampage, Dynamite, Dark, A-W-D-A. and Evolution. or I think Evolution or whatever that's called. That show's yeah. called, I don't even remember anyone. Mm-hmm. But they did it all in a marathon evening in one of the biggest cities as far as professional wrestling, Philadelphia, PA. Um, I did think it was cool. I'll start the conversation off by saying I thought it was very cool that not only did the Blue Meanie wrestle, but, and we, we mentioned him a couple of times in September because of the pa- unfortunate passing of Daphne, Roll Frank Crowbar wrestled for all elite wrestling and uh, listen crowbar was a fine hand in the ring very good wrestler hmm. he didn't have to be great because everybody you know, there's other greats there but he was good it never made sense to me that he never got signed after i remember specifically being at a smackdown uh at the uh the center 
after WCW got shut down and he was in a dark match. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's great. It'll be great. Everybody go to the, everybody, it was, he was a Philly guy. So everybody reacted to him, looked great. But never got signed, never got it, never understood that. Never understood mm-hmm. why Crowbar didn't get signed. But it's good to see him in all elite. I really hope he's a repeat customer. Uh, I really like Crowbar. And, and do I. And what was done. Uh, greetings, first of all, uh, HIAC Talk Radio listeners and viewers. Uh, good to see you guys once again. Uh, Dan and I are in our Phillies finest. Uh, yes, we are. Uh, AEW in uh, the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. Aha. <laughs> we welcome back uh, a member to our fold, uh, Sixers Ben Simmons, who also got a shout out. Uh, it's a great way to get heel heat uh, by the acclaimed, who mentioned Ben Simmons in one of their raps when they came to the ring. Um, that's a great way to get heat now if you're in Philly. Uh, also, uh, Orange Cassidy came to the ring with uh, Franklin and. Um, Right, that's right. Yes, and wearing Sixers garb, and again, in order to get face, you know, to get a, a good face pop. But it was the location. Um, they weren't in South Philly. They were. They kept pushing Philly, but they were actually on the uh, on the campus of Temple University at the Leah Core Center. Uh, like I said before, if you've ever been there, it's on the corner of Help Me and Oh My God, I'm not kidding. Please help me. But. Uh, Philly, no, nonetheless. It's Lindley Avenue, okay? Yeah. I only know that because literally, that's where, there, my, yeah. that's where my father... No, that is where my father grew up. Oh, okay. He he lived... The family was on Lindley Avenue in North Philadelphia for many, many years. They moved out when he was 12, but the, that's where the family... That's where a couple thing, stuff... Things, Italian family, you know, things, anyway. But Lindley Thank Avenue. You. Which okay. is, I think that's, oh my God, I'm serious, help me. Yeah. That's the, that's the street that intersects, oh my God, help me. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, the, the good part is uh, the, the, it looked great. The building looked amazing. It looked, I don't know if it was sold out, it looked packed, but it looked great on camera. It shot really well. It's one thing I have to give AEW uh, a ton of credit for. Where they stole every all the the ideas and the angles and even the opening from WWE, um, whatever it works. Um, it was a great time, and but again, kudos, kudos to everyone who stayed because I heard from a friend of mine too. It was a very very long night in yeah. Philly uh, to do all those tapings, and it was a lot to uh, to ask. Um, and uh, they uh, had a uh, FTW. Uh, title and they made a mention they they made a main event Ricky Starks and uh, Brian Cage uh, Brian Cage who was a disciple of Canyon and taken to the taken Brian Cage is taken to even borrowing Canyon's catchphrase now saying who better than Cage as a tribute to his uh, his mentor I didn't know that I really I didn't know that was manufactured I I honestly didn't know that about Brian yeah yeah wow. that's cool uh, and timely. Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, he only started doing it after uh, the uh, Dark Side of the Ring episode, which we can talk about that. And that also happened in wrestling. Well, all right, I'll, I'll mention. I'll, I'll t- <laughs> my dad the, is. I just want to say real quick, uh, Craig. My dad is here, um, and he's watching on Facebook, and he told me to get a haircut. So, wow, thanks, Dad. Man. Never, well, never, never fails. Love you, Dad. Yeah, we were just I talking did. about your old stomping grounds of lit. We were, we, were, we were talking about your old stomping grounds near Temple University. That's all I'm going to say. We brought, we mentioned his, we mentioned, you mentioned his name and he comes into play. You, you spoke him into existence, Dan. I, I, I really did. I mentioned, mentioned yeah. your old stomping grounds and there he is telling me to get a haircut. Love and him. had you not been in such a hurry to reveal the name of your favorite sixer, your dad never would have known how badly you needed a haircut. That's true. If I didn't turn around and show, no, he saw me. He saw me in August. He knows I need a haircut and he knows I'm going to laugh at it and not do that. Okay. So, yeah. So I was doing it like this. So I just think I'm wondering, I'm trying to, Mr. Kalachiko, I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to get through to the boy. Um, My dad said, ouchie about his old stomping grass. (laughs) Keep going. Just pass this part. In fact, never play this again. 
<laughs> uh, well, they made they made mention of the history of the FTW Championship. That Taz was on commentary, who does an amazing job every week. Uh, that it started in Philly, um, the uh, the FTW yeah. Championship, and then it was the main event. Um, and the only reason it was the main event is CM Punk wrestled first, only because the crowd at this point had been so exhausted that they needed something to get them out of the seat when they're starting up another show, which was uh, Rampage. But uh, the, the main event. Uh, Ricky Stars um, got busted open hard way, um, running his running himself into a chair, um, and got the win over Brian Cage to uh, retain the FTW belt, which is not a real championship. The belt looks great, but it's also not a real championship. Uh, but kudos to both men for for laying it out there and for having a a very good match on a very long night, and the best part though was what happened after the uh, cameras went off the air and I saw this on Twitter uh, Tony Khan came out to uh, thank the crowd and recognize the history of wrestling in Philadelphia and asked to ask Chris Jericho Taz to come to ringside and uh, also introduce Dean Malenko uh, to come to uh, the ring to the fans and Another road agent who was backstage, Jerry Lynn. Ah, uh, uh, big Philadelphia staple wrestling. Yeah. Yep. Brought them all into the ring uh, to say thank you to uh, the, the crowd. And Taz had to remind Dean Malenko that he was the one who broke his neck. Um, and uh, Malenko just gave the, and Dad, you know, you broke my neck, Dean. And he leaked the mic to Dean. And Dean goes, Yes, I did. And yes, that I was did. it. You lived, so. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then CM Punk came down, not to steal anyone's thunder, but just to say that he also uh, has a history of wrestling in Philadelphia and Ring of Honor, how he lived in Philly for two years and uh, how the fighting spirit was uh, born right here in Philly. And he said his piece and he left, didn't upstage anyone, didn't want to step on anyone's toes because what made it the moment so special was that wrestling in Philadelphia isn't just ECW, it's also Ring of Honor. It didn't just spark give fans of the United States their first look at Taz and Chris Jericho and Dean Malenko and Jerry Lynn, but through Ring of Honor, that what's, that gave us CM Punk and AJ Styles and Samoa Joe and Cesaro and uh, Chris Hero uh, Dean Ambrose to a lesser extent. El Generico. El Generico. Kevin Steen Owens. Uh, So uh, Philadelphia is a... uh, a Brian Danielson um, gave us a... uh, Philadelphia has given birth or been the home to a lot of mainstream professional wrestlers. So I I applaud Tony Khan, a wrestling fan himself, who uh, gave uh, a proper uh, tribute to Philadelphia at the long ass show and uh let's talk about uh the dark side of the ring uh mentioned chris canyon and and the brian cage connection but the uh the chris canyon dark side of the ring and it's kind of weird because i say this i'm like i'm just trying to look for clout i'm like no when i used to watch when i when i used to when i watched wcw and this guy named Mortis later uh, took off the mask and, and became his namesake. Mm-hmm. Uh, just always impressed. The guy was awesome. Yeah. Like he is one of the best. Like he, he called the, inter- the innovator of offense, which was yeah. the nickname that was given to him, you know, pulling out moves that nobody else thought of or had done in years and like yeah. 20, 30 years. And he was doing them. Mm-hmm. Um, Still has one of my favorite good bad gimmicks. It's a bad gimmick, but I will argue that it's a great gimmick. Uh, which is when he was positively canyon, which was a takeoff of Diamond Dallas Page's Positively Page uh mm-hmm. book that came out that year. And when he was just on the, the fringe of public speaking and being positive and doing what he does today, which is yeah. Lifting others up physically mm-hmm. and mentally. But you mm-hmm. say what you want about the guy. The guy motivated, motivates me. 
yeah. didn't buy a burger. Uh, but no, <laughs> no, he, he does. I've, I've, uh, results will, results will, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. but he, uh, I have it saved on my YouTube favorites. I can't wait to find the actual episode so I get a high quality version of it on the network. And I'm still calling it because Peacock sounds stupid. Um, <laughs> is when he would randomly diamond cut people on the during the shows. Yeah. And my favorite one I still have on YouTube is when he hits somebody or nails somebody and he goes to leave the building. Yeah. And he gets in the car, drives away, stops at the crossing, the, you know, the gate to get into the property mm-hmm. way out in the distance. Grabs the ticket agent or the agent at the gate, diamond cuts him on camera and just looks back at the camera that's about 70 yards away, just yells, bang! It gets in the car and leaves. <laughs> he was doing this for weeks. Chris Canyon will be remembered for that, but Chris Canyon is one of the best wrestlers that you've never heard of because that absolute farce of a reasoning that came out no pun intended after that dark side of the ring. And I don't even remember the Ric Flair phone call. Thank Christ. I did. Yeah. Man, Flair had two really good weeks there. Didn't he? Yeah. Um, of him week. saying he wasn't WWE material in what world? I've been waiting to ask you this for two weeks in what world in this universe, in this galaxy, in, in any dimension is Chris Canyon, not good enough to be on WWF TV. At none and uh i i heard that call live this is back when i still listened to stern and when chris Canyon was on that's yeah, okay uh but i was and i was surprised but not surprised you know because i know rick loved chris Canyon, and chris Canyon idolized rick flair and you could see the hurt in his eyes when flair was saying uh yeah chris in one breath in one sense flair said yes yeah, chris Canyon's great yeah he's a great worker but he's not, you know, he's not, he wasn't WWE material. And a wrestler Which, in you, Rick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, as just, far as form and I mean, it's hard to say that people are like, what? Rick's one of the greatest wrestlers. No, I mean, as far as like wrestling ability, Chris was one of the, like, Chris was technically better. I don't, yes, I don't know how the hell else other would say that. What Chris Candy can do in the ring, the things that Chris Candy can do in the ring, Ric Flair never could. Okay. And the stuff that Chris Canyon did in the ring are copied to this day. The buckshot lariat that Adam Page is his finishing maneuver. Chris Canyon would do that in the middle of the match. Okay. Uh, the he, he did a second rope pile driver and never hurt the guy because he the, knows what the hell he's doing. The leg bulldog. The leg bulldog. The That horrible movie, Ready to Rumble. Chris Canyon was Oliver Platt's stunt double. All the bumps, that was all Chris Canyon. Do you tell one? There's one. Sh- they the say what you want about how bad that movie is, and I, I ain't gonna debate it. Um, saw it in theaters. Um, the editor did a wonderful job at editing yeah. out Canyon, except for one shot, and it's the shot where he hits the table on the outside. I'm like, ah, yeah, he's going over the yeah, he's going over the rope. You couldn't, you couldn't, you could tell by the nose. You can nail. I was that like, oh, that was Canyon. Yeah. <laughs> but Chris Canyon. And uh, John Cena was also on because John Cena came on all was also on Stern and said pretty much the same thing. No, yeah, he's Chris out of his Canyon fucking mind there. too. Yeah, but I know that they're they're obviously towing the WWE line by saying that because the reason why Chris Canyon was let go and why Chris Canyon was on Stern in the first place was because he was gay. And he wanted to be a first openly gay wrestler in the WWE at the time wasn't having it and you can even say right now they're not having because darren young hasn't been seen in god knows how long so that's something as sonia deville until recently yeah but with with chris with chris canyon when they found out he chris canyon was fine he had a a spot on the the wwe roster mid card but was making good money and was getting on tv every single week on national tv but he got hurt, unfortunately, which happened. But when they found out he was gay, when someone found out he was gay, the next time you saw him was coming out of a giant box, dressed in drag, 
singing Do You Really Want to Hurt Me by the Culture Club. Lead singer Boy George, who's gay. And he was told to sing it in a really high voice. And The Undertaker, and that was a surprise for The Undertaker. And then The Undertaker just beat the living snot out of him with really hard, hard weight chair shots that were just completely unnecessary. And that's the last time we saw Chris Canyon. So if if Chris Canyon, if it never came out that Chris Canyon was gay, and I made the same argument that I've been arguing before we went on there, I was telling Dan, I was arguing for, I've been arguing for two days about Colin Kaepernick, uh, also because his Netflix special is coming out, because people still maintain, the people that will always say Colin Kaepernick didn't get a job in the NFL because he stinks, because he was a bad quarterback. And I'll say, just like I said, if Chris Canyon never, if no one in WWE found out that Chris Canyon was gay, he'd still be working there. If Colin Kaepernick never took a single knee, never said anything, didn't wear the, the pig socks, nothing like that, he'd still have a job in the NFL. Do you know any horrible quarterbacks that still have a job in the NFL that have never won a single playoff game or taken their team to a Super Bowl like Colin Kaepernick has? And they still have a job. So you mean to tell me that the reason why if Colin Kaepernick never said anything, he'd still be out of the league because he's that bad? No. If if no one on WWE found out that Chris Canyon was gay, he would still have a job. The problem, the, that was one thing. But Chris Canyon also lived a tortured life. You know, he, um, he was a manic depressive. Uh, the stories that James Mitchell, who... I also need to see on TV again because that was also one of the great underrated talkers in wrestling history. Great old time manager. Um, like that he kept his look, kept the eyebrows arched. But the stories that he was telling about the mood swings of Chris Canyon was just frightening. So Chris Canyon had his own demons and his own. He had he was, lived a tortured life uh, before he was. You know he came out came out of, of being gay. So there was other trouble. But I, I, you cannot tell me that, that someone finding out that he was gay and that culture club singing in drag didn't have anything to do with that. He was being punished and he w was left out of the WWE strictly because he was gay. Because it certainly was, had nothing to do with his talent. Just like Colin Kaepernick being out of the league because of his social activism had nothing to do with his talent. And it still bugs me. It should bug you. It should bug everybody. It should bug everybody, even if you disagree with him. And if we, if you disagree with him, we have to, have to have a <laughs> chat. But my, yeah, but, my, you get my point. My point yeah. stands. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Chris Canyon's Dark Side of the Ring was a really uh, a great story of a great guy. Again, a tremendous worker, completely uh, underrated underutilized for most of his career the guy could do everything in the ring and also outside one of the just one of the nicest guys uh that you that you could be at no one had a bad word to say about him maybe james mitchell but that was because and, and those bad times happened outside of the ring when uh chris was still struggling with his uh his sexuality and or people knowing and people not knowing uh that he was gay and I came out in some violent fits of rage, but he never took advantage of anyone in the ring. Um, like, like Brian Cage said, he was uh, he was just starting out, and he put Cage over. He didn't have to when he got to the when Brian Cage got to the arena that night and Chris Canyon's hometown, and uh, he was, was more than willing to do the job. He said, "Yeah," and Canyon goes, "No, well, you're the new up and coming babyface here, so I'll put you over," and. He was shocked, and he said, "I still shocked him that uh, he did that for him." Uh, it reminded me of the uh, this past week's um, Dark Side of the Ring with uh, Bruiser Bedlam, uh, Jim Cornette's find. Uh, he was the top heel in Smoky Mountain, and he asked Randy Savage, did him a favor to come down to Smoky Mountain, and uh, Randy goes, uh, "Well, uh, this is your this is your guy, right, Jimmy?" Because, uh, yeah. It's my easier top heel. He said, yeah, 
uh, well, I'm just coming here for one night, you know, I'll put him over. And that just, you know, blew Bruiser away and blew Jim Cornette away because here's Randy Savage, you know, a made guy, you know, one of the top superstars of all time that I, everyone at Smoky Mountain grew up watching, but he's going to put your new heel over because it's best for business. And he's like, I, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm only here for one night. So uh, that kind of stuff, uh, I still is uh, great for wrestling. Uh, that's why I like what CM Punk is doing now. Uh, obviously, when CM Punk came in, he, he made it clear he wanted to work with some of the younger guys. I'm not the biggest Danny Garcia fan. Uh, there is. Uh, but when uh, at AEW uh, Rampage this past Friday night, he was the opening match. And he didn't squash Danny. He didn't make like they did with Miro or uh, they, he didn't give Danny like a ton of offense that made CM Punk look like a jobber. Uh, he gave him just enough and he made him look good. And it was the biggest match of Danny Garcia's life. And out of all the people, you know, I, I don't know if Punk had a list. Okay. I want to work with this guy. I want to work with Darby Allen. And then I want to do heart with Hobbs. And then I want to, and whether he is or not, I don't know, but he obviously these are people that he wants to work with and he's gotten the best from them. And each person he's been in the ring with, Garcia, Hobbs, uh, Darby, their stock has risen, has gotten better because of that. So I applaud CM Punk for, for that. Whatever his agenda is, I don't know who he's up to next. Um, I can only hope we will culminate in a CM Punk MJF match in front of a huge stadium. Couldn't say it any better than that, Craig. So <laughs> I know I'm serious. I didn't mean it as a joke. I was like, you know, you have follow up perfectly point to it. If you have nothing else, yeah. I think it's time for your wrestling historian bit, sir. Did you call me a bitch? No, bit. Okay, bit. I'm sorry. Bits. It's a bit. <laughs> it's not for wrestling bit. historian, bit. Sometimes. <laughs> Aren't we all? We are. We are. I am. Yeah. I am. <laughs> well, folks, um, as I uh, mask up here, um, we're going to go back in time. Uh, we were talking about some of the uh, old uh, time wrestlers. I mentioned Randy Savage earlier and um, how that art of professional wrestling is lost, uh, putting uh, somebody over or making a, a amends to, to someone and playing in front of a packed house. What we had right here in Philadelphia last week, well, that occurred quite a bit back in the day when there were packed houses in all 50 states, when there was wrestling in all parts of the country, um, high school gymnasiums, coliseums, stadiums packed to the rim, cheering their favorite wrestlers and booing their most hated villains back when sports entertainment was professional wrestling, back when it was called a title shot, not a title opportunity. And if you got stretchered out, you got taken to a hospital, not a medical facility. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the wrestling historian. Uh, we're going to start out October 9th. Um, this past week, I put it on my Facebook page. I celebrate it every year. Uh, the irony is I wear this man's T-shirt or have it uh, in the background at almost every show. And here it is, the week of his birthday, and it's not on. But happy 54th birthday. Happy belated 54th birthday to my favorite wrestler at the time of his death, Eduardo Guerrero. What can you say that hasn't already been said? We were talking about earlier about how good Canyon was, but I don't think, and I said, you know, you know, technically Canyon's a better ending wrestler than Ric Flair. And it's like, you can't really yeah. say that. I'm like, well, yeah, I, I can, and I did. Yeah. Um, what you're talking about, what I'm talking about, two different things. Um, but what you can say is Eddie Guerrero is probably arguably the best wrestler that ever lived. It's arguably. I don't yeah. think it is, but that 
That's just me. Eddie, yeah, and it's me too. Eddie, I when I mentioned my top 10 wrestlers of all time, Eddie is uh, firmly in there at the time of his death. And I still put him, if I'm if I'm drinking the WWE Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid and I'm not using the term wrestlers, if, I, if I'm pick, even if I'm picking the top WWE superstars of all time, Eddie's in my top 10 um, always. Uh, I'll put him above uh, stalwarts like uh, John Cena, Undertaker, definitely above Triple H. Uh, there wasn't anything that Eddie Guerrero could not do in the ring. And he was equally effective as a face or a heel. He can get you to cheer people standing. Uh, they cheered his first title win over Brock Lesnar, holding up signs that say Eddie. And he can get people to boo him unmercifully um, because of his character. That's the charisma that he had that, you know, you can't really touch. And no one has come close to touching that. Uh, Eddie, at the time of his death, was uh, probably going to win his second uh, world championship. You know, we talked a lot of times on this show, Dan, about the great wrestlers that we've known and uh, how they've been known as great wrestlers, but they've only held a title once. We were talking about Randy Savage. You know, people talk about the Intercontinental Championship. They talk about Randy Savage. Only held it once. Terry Funk made his entire career about being NW, former NWA champion. Only held it once. Sometimes. The Road Warriors, arguably the greatest tag team in NWA history. And during a five-year period, there wasn't a better tag team in the entire world of professional wrestling. NWA tag team champions, only once. Um, and Eddie is, Guerrero, which is not yeah. their fault. No, no, wasn't <laughs> up to them. Yes, um, but uh, Eddie Guerrero, uh, heavyweight champion, uh, only once. But uh, that one title win was uh, absolutely uh, amazing, and what Eddie did in the ring was absolutely amazing. So many. You know, when you can talk about Sorry. a wrestler and you can, that's okay. And you can mention, not only you can just spout off great matches that he had um, in either company, but great promos that he had or great spots in the ring. Uh, the uh, His last match against Kennedy, when uh, the referee went down and he tossed the chair. Uh, yeah. And the spot that was recreated by uh, Ricochet and Cedric Alexander on uh, the week of um, Eddie's death. Yeah, it was just recreated by Monsieur. Yes, the same Monsieur Ulala. Mm -hmm. This past weekend at OPW Brain Trust, but instead of a chair, it was powder. Okay, and it failed miserably after, but initially it worked, and it was it was the same vein. He, he yeah. threw it in. He he threw the powder in his own face. Threw the the powder the bottle at the guy and dropped. And dropped. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, that was a great tribute to Eddie. But again, Ugh. no one, no one did that before Eddie. Nope. Uh, the and uh, he was such a, a great, tremendous influence, and one of the people we mentioned at the top of the broadcast or at a former uh, earlier broadcast about. Uh, the wrestling here in Philadelphia and how Tony Khan paid tribute to the wrestling, to wrestlers that were there. Chris Jericho, Taz, and uh, Dean Malenko, and Jerry Lynn uh, in Philadelphia. But Eddie Guerrero as well in Philadelphia, who made his home in Philadelphia. The first time national audiences got to see him wrestle uh, was right here in Philadelphia at the ECW Arena. His matches with Dean Malenko, I would put right next to the Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat collection of matches or the Dynamite Kid Tiger Mask matches. Um, absolutely uh, epic. Um, with, with Rock and Austin, um, just uh, classic, classic professional wrestling. Again, the common denominator and all that is Eddie Guerrero. Um, never be surpassed, never be forgotten. Always often imitated, never duplicated, my brother. Period. <laughs> Happy belated 54th birthday to Eddie Guerrero.
Uh, October 10th, 1980, in the Omni in Atlanta, uh, became the birth of one of the most copied and most influential, uh, I want to say, uh, tag team title occurrences in wrestling history. Uh, in the Omni in Atlanta, October 10th, 1980, it was a round-robin tournament uh, for the Georgia Tag Team Championship between Mr. Wrestling 1 and 2, uh, the Assassins, and the Fabulous Freebirds. And the Fabulous Freebirds, the three-man team of Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, and Buddy Roberts, interchanged during that round-robin tournament. So Hayes and Gordy defeated Wrestling 1 and 2, and Gordy and Buddy Roberts defeated the Assassins and the Freebirds became the Georgia Tag Team Champions. And it was then when, according to them, they went to the NWA and came to an agreement with the board of directors that any two of the three members of that group can defend the Georgia Tag Team Championship. And thus, the Freebird rule was invented. And just to call back real quick before you yep. continue about the Freebird rule. Mm-hmm. The aforementioned Chris Canyon, when he was a member of the Jersey Triad for a small, glorious time in the per- terrible WCW year that is <laughs> 1999, with Bam Bam Bigelow, who was also no longer with us, and Diamond Dallas Page, part of the Jersey Triad, invoked that free bird rule by name yes. many occasions defending their tag team championship. Hot damn. Hot damn. And that's even, it even carried over to the women's championship. When the team of Lay Cool, uh, Michelle McCool and Layla both shared the World Women's Championship, they invoked the Freebird Rule and all the way up to 2019 when the New Day, all three it's members, yep. could def- to any two could defend the belt at any time. I think it's grandfathered in now when factions like three man faction wins or three person yeah. faction wins the tag, wins tag title. It's Freebird Rule. But that rule, gentlemen and ladies, uh, first occurred or was invoked when the Freebirds won the Georgia Tag Team Championship October 10th, 1980. So the Freebird rule is 41 years old. 41 years. And that tag team. How do you tell your legacy? You have a legacy in wrestling. Your name is still being uttered 41 years later. Yes. So once again, that goes to my whenever, Dan, I've been on this podcast for so long and I say the same thing whenever I talk about the great, most influential tag teams of all time. I'm always stuck on the same three ones, fabulous ones, the Road Warriors and the Freebirds. And I'll, on this day, I will say the Freebirds right now are the most influential tag team of all time. But another time in another wrestling historian and the Road Warriors will come up, I'll say it's them. Uh, but for now, 41 years later, Freebirds, uh, for Freebird rule was invoked. Uh, October 12th, 1992. Uh, can't believe it. Almost, almost 30 years ago, but actually 29 years ago yesterday in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, in front of his mom and dad. Brett, the Hitman Hart, defeated an aforementioned Ric Flair to win his first ever World Heavyweight Championship. Perfect. Oh, wait, no, that's not perfect. Excellent. Excellent. That's execution. Thank you. House show. Uh, Match that wasn't televised. Uh, I mean, there was TV cameras there, but it wasn't, it didn't make any of the, uh, it wasn't part of the syndicated package. It wasn't part of Superstars. Uh, but Ric Flair to win his first heavyweight championship. And uh, Brett, unlike uh, uh, Eddie, has, uh, held the title more than once and uh, went on to be one of the great uh, champions and one of my favorite superstars of all time. But the uh, hard work that he took to get here really is a testament to Brett because Bret Hart came into the WWF with absolutely no fanfare, actually came from the Mid-Atlantic area, 
And um, as a favor to Stu Hart and Vince McMahon Sr., who were close, uh, hired I me mean, right before he bought the Stampede area where uh, Brett started. He brought with him his brother-in-law, Jim Neidhart, and his brother, Owen, into the WWF. And they were gradually came in doing jobs. And he was put with Jim Neidhart along with Jimmy Hart. And the Hart Foundation was born. And again, they started slow and uh, took a lot of, uh, while they were doing well in tag team division, uh, Brett was getting beaten by other main event stars. He had an incredibly great match with Ricky Steamboat in the Boston Garden. He had another good one with Randy Savage once he turned face. But Bret Hart paid his dues. Um, yeah. A, a lot. Um, opening match on the card a lot of times when he was a single. Um, and uh, when the Hart Foundation first took off, they also did a lot of jobs for a lot of teams coming up. But fans, especially fans like me and smart fans could tell when you looked at Bret Hart, that guy had something. And there was even an informal poll taken in 1991, right, 1990, right after SummerSlam 1990. Fans asked who was the best wrestler in the company. And to a man, everyone said Bret Hart. And this is when he was in the tag team with Jim Neidhart, when he didn't even have any belt. But fans could see how good the man was. And I had so many people that said, Bret Hart's my favorite wrestler. And he was wearing pink and black and nowhere near any singles competition. But fans could tell. You know, it's just like you can... We looked at Harlem Heat. You know Booker T was the guy. You know, when I I uh, looked at um, Edge and Christian, I knew Edge, you know, was the guy. The Hardy Boys, you knew Jeff was the guy. And the Hart Foundation, you, you just knew it was Brett. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he, had, he had it and uh, came to fruition. Um, and uh, I've always enjoyed Brett's matches. And I've enjoyed his his, uh, his interviews. Uh, not, not his promos and his TV, but when, his, he, when he, the interviews that he's given outside of the wrestling ring, I think Wrestling with Shadows is still one of the great documentaries of all time, of any genre. Oh, God, yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, even if you're not a wrestling fan, because I've shown it to many non-wrestling fans, and they've enjoyed it, uh, because it's just a great look at um, a guy and his chosen vocation and uh, how one can get screwed um, from the people you think are closest to you in the world. It gives us hope, though, because he punches his boss in the face. Yeah. He also gave a, a interview I just I just saw on Instagram a couple of days ago. He didn't mention any names, but he says he he finds the Hall of Fame speeches somewhat horseshit. He said in his words because he sees the people that are inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, which is horseshit on another level. But that's another podcast for another time. Yeah, yeah. HMP. But he says. <laughs> adopted that hashtag thank HMP. I, I um, give you credit every time when you're not around, by the way. Th- thank you. I but literally Brett, go, as Craig says, HMP. <laughs> well, Bret Hart said that he, he can't stand some of the speeches in the WWE Hall of Fame, and he didn't mention any names because the people, some people when they, when they get inducted, they thank Vince, Triple H, and Stephanie or some combination of those three. They don't thank the guys that put them over in the first place. They don't thank the guys that helped them, you know, get started. They didn't thank the guys that um, they had a feud with their first, the first time they made some money. That's who you thank, you know, so that's what put him off. And I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Why are they thanking Vince and Stephanie and Triple H? (laughs) That was for you. That's not for, that was not for public consumption. But it's like no pun they, intended. Yeah, but it's like they didn't put him over uh, when they were first starting out because somebody had to have somebody put him over. Yeah, or else they wouldn't be there in the first place. Yeah, exactly. So I never thought of that. Hard, yeah. So now I'm thinking, like, and again, he didn't name any names, but it's like, hmm, I think I know a couple of people that. Hmm. It's like, why are they thinking Vince, Vince and Triple H? 
That's and weird. That's that's a mystery. That's a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> And on this day in pro wrestling history, uh, I don't know, just because it's been a slow week in history. Um, uh, on this day, 1997, the Steiner brothers defeated Scott Hall and Six to win their fifth and final WCW Tag Team Championship. On a Nitro that did uh, a 3.8, uh, that beat a Raw, that did a 2.3. Yeah, but going to get him in that half hour this weekend. Mm-hmm. You got preempted by the NHL, Tony. <laughs> I want to tell you there. Yeah, price of doing business. And that, gentlemen and ladies, is the wrestling historian. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Craig Lagon, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. And you can find me on all social media platforms at danlaw83 everywhere uh that's that's it uh, when you go to youtube you want to look for the channel you go you, you type in danlaw83 when you're coming to look for me that's the only change danlaw.tv that's what you got to look at uh the show is at hictalkradio.com no, it's not. That's the old days. It's at HIAC Talk Radio on social media, on Facebook and Twitter, right behind us, right here. I'm going to cheat. Look, there, there it is. HIAC uh, Talk Radio. Hi. Uh, oh, God. Um, but please follow, um, follow us, interact with us, listen to the podcast uh, on your smartphone, whether it's an iPhone, Android, any, any phone you got that has the pod and podcasting app. Type in HIC Talk Radio Network. Like, share, subscribe, follow, uh, send us a tip on PayPal, whatever you like. I'll, you can buy me with sandwiches and money. I'm not a hard date at first. Anyway, follow us and say hi. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week. Good night, everybody. <laughs>